I think I would sort of double down on being the pirate. I mean, for a while, from an ecosystem builder perspective, I tried stakeholder management, like being gentle. And part of this is unnatural for me to actually be that person. It's like, that's not who I am. I probably wouldn't try that. It's like, here's who I am. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in and do pirate stuff. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. When Joe Marushak left his home ecosystem of Eugene, Oregon, it sent ripples through our communities of ecosystem builders. In the public farewell letter that he wrote in July 2021, he voiced what so many of us had been struggling with and secretly discussing behind closed doors. I've linked his letter in the show notes if you want to read it. A year and a half after this letter, I invited Joe onto the show to share his journey and talk to us about what life is like after the big quit. We talked about self-financing your work as an ecosystem builder, managing different stakeholders with very different expectations, and about the importance of doing over-talking. Come and meet Joe Marushak. Joe Marushak, thank you for coming on the show today to talk to us about quitting an ecosystem, evolving out of a position, and talking about all the things that have happened in between point A and point B. And hopefully we can talk a little bit about what point C may look like. But first off, thank you for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you and I want to dive right in. If a founder called you up tomorrow saying, hey, I have a great startup thinking about moving to Eugene, Oregon. Joe, you've lived there for a long time. Can you point me to the right people, organizations, the right coffee shops to hang out and meet other founders? What would you tell that person? Well, you know, this is again a tough one because I left, I sort of left it behind. I would actually have read out, reach out to Todd and Celeste Edmond. Um, so Todd and Celeste Edmond are a husband and wife team. They're both CEOs of their own startups. Todd's doing um, pollinate food. Celeste is doing Prevedere Analytics, healthcare AI startup. And they're like the real deal. I mean, they're really in it, actually trying to build their startups. And they're genuine people, really good people. I would say talk to them first. They'll give you the lay of the landscape. You know, the lay of the landscape there is a lot of good people building startups. There's some organizations there that actually do provide some value. And in the context, a lot of it is um, innovation theater. You know, they're, they're a program associated with a larger organization and they do help to some extent, but um, oftentimes don't have their sort of finger on the true pulse of the startup community. Um, so it would be talk to Todd and Celeste. They would probably then introduce you to any particular person you would want to talk to. Um, some of this is contextual. You know, if there was someone coming in and they were say someone from Silicon Valley was a software guy that did AI, I'd be like, oh, talk to that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, so I can never just say it's a startup founder. It would be a startup founder coming in who has, who is at a particular stage or has a particular problem. Um, I would probably introduce them to that person. 
And in my first conversation with them, I usually ask them like what they do. As an example, um, I was a rock climber. There's someone that's in the food industry there named Michael Elkanen, who's also a rock climber. So they were moving to Eugene and they climbed rocks. I'd be like, talk to Micah. Yeah. Because often it's not the, oh, this pe- people to talk business with. It's like, if you're moving to a community, you need to find a community. And if you're a rock climber, you don't just need to find a startup community. You need to find the rock climbing community. Let me introduce you to the rock climbers or the mountain bikers or the kayakers or you know whatever sport you're into. And it being Eugene, if someone moved to Eugene and I asked them like, well, what outdoor sport are you into? And they said none, I'd be like, don't move to I'm, Eugene. Why on earth are you moving to Eugene? Because I mean, Eugene, I mean, this is the, the flavor of Eugene is Eugene is awesome. Southern Willamette Valley, super mild in the winter. It never gets below um, 40 degrees. It's rainy, but it doesn't get that rainy. The springs and falls are beautiful. Summer is super dry. It never rains. But you can actually go to the ocean in an hour. You can be skiing in an hour. You could be on running trails over the city. There's bike paths everywhere. I used to walk my kids to school. I was equidistant to all the schools. They were all a quarter mile away. You know, if you like the outdoors, it's probably one of the best places on earth to be. You know, you can rock climb in the middle of downtown. There's two climbing gyms. It's, it's actually kind of an amazing place for the outdoors. Uh, a lot of my friends who are there are, are fly fishermen. They like fly fish at lunch or they do drift boats, you know, so it's, it's one of those towns that, um, we stayed for such a long time because it's, you know, um, they used to call it the second paycheck, you know, it's one of those towns that you go to and you're like, I understand why people move here because it's like a second paycheck. It's, it's like you're living in a, in a vacation town. Um, it's kind of that awesome, but you know, when you get into it and you've lived there for a while, the, the kind of soft underbelly gets exposed. But like when you first come to the town and if you're into a sport, there's all the reasons to be there. And then there's wineries all over all kinds of small wineries. There's microbreweries. There's actually really good food. You know, there's a, a lot of things to like about Eugene. Um, but that's, you know, so I would ask them about that. Like, it's like, what kind of food do you like? I can tell where the best Thai place is, you know? So, uh, I think that was always my approach when someone was coming into the community which wasn't just like startup as the only thing that defines them. The idea is they're moving to a town like Eugene and they're coming to Eugene for possibly for a reason. It might be a trailing spouse working for someone at the university, or they might have family there. We call them boomerangs and they went away and they went to Stanford or, you know, had a career in New York and they came back because their parents are old and they want to be near the grandparents, but they still want careers. Um, so there's some, there's some sort of connection they either have or some connection they want to, to the town. So I'm tr- trying to find that connection beyond just doing a startup to sort of anchor them in the town and make them feel comfortable. Um, Joe, give us a sense for how big Eugene is. What would you compare it to? Man, I'm from the East Coast. It's very, very hard to compare Eugene. So Eugene is Eugene Springfield, the greater Eugene Springfield area, probably about 250,000 people. If you include both towns and sort of the outlying sort of suburbs, um, kind of sprawling. You know, it, it's a little strange. Uh, it takes you, if you were to come in on one side where actually you notice that you're in a town and drive to the far side of Springfield, it takes about 20 minutes to get through the whole thing. So I hear a great quality of life, which I think is a major draw for people who, well, not just start a business, but, you know, people who want a little bit more out of life than their nine to five career job. Is there a specific industry that is dominant in Eugene or did you see a little bit of everything? A little bit of everything. Dominant industry in Eugene's university. I mean, you, okay. the university is the big dog in the room in terms of a lot of jobs real revolve around the University of Oregon. Other than that, there's no one big industry. Logging, 
So if you go outside, it's you know, wood products. Most of Springfield is devoted to wood products. You know, a good portion of Oregon is devoted to wood products and the wineries. A lot of wineries, um, a lot of grapes being grown. You know, so those are the big in agriculture, uh, but no one dominant something that it's known for. Okay, other than Joe Marushak. Um, <laughs> so I'm talking to you. You're currently in New Jersey. You left Eugene, Oregon, in September 2021. Obviously, there was a moment where you decided that as lovely as the quality of life is, it is time for you to move on and head back to the East Coast. Can you talk to me about that quitting moment? What was that that moment or the series of events that led you to say to yourself, you know what, I think this is it. I think I'm done here. I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, so, so part of this is yeah, this feeling of I did what I can do. It's like, mm -hmm. this place is done. There's not much else for me to do here. I mean, we loved being there in terms of the quality of life, but in terms of the career advancement, there really wasn't anything else for me to do there. You know, and everything started feeling like a repeat. Started working with startups, all had similar problems. I had raised a small seed fund and invested all of that. And then there was talk about us doing a second seed fund. That, that actually just found, sounded like a repeat of what I'd done before. Um, and it wasn't super lucrative. You know, part of this is like running a small seed fund in a small town is not like you're a VC driving around in a Ferrari. It's actually hard work. And the, you know, the money is just, it's not great. It's, it's more work than fun. And uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, this is really like my wife had reminded me, we had moved out to Oregon in 93 to go to college. This is kind of to get off the East coast, which was the East coast in 93. This is like, we had grown up in New Jersey. I'd gone to New York and New York in the eighties kind of really sucked. You know, it was, if you've ever seen any movies like New Jack city, where it was really dark and all the crack cocaine, like it was pretty bad in the eighties. So us moving away in the early nineties was really like, Hey, let's get out of here. Let's go to the West coast and see what's out there. And it worked out for us. We went to college and this is like my backstory, worked at a game companies and started my own game company, sold it, worked at another game company. We sold that. We had kids, we bought a house. And then right as the pandemic hit, my wife was right. So we were supposed to move home after college. Oh, and she's like, and here you are 30 years later. <laughs> here we are 30 <laughs> years later. There. And, 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 you know, I was actually like, yeah, and, you know, I was a little burnt, felt a little burnt out just by what everything that had happened, um, how things sort of hadn't panned out as much as I'd hoped mm -hmm. and how I was just feeling like I was just doing the same thing. I wasn't growing. I wasn't going anywhere. I, you know, I wasn't growing as an individual. My career wasn't advancing and it. I guess it, you know, I did what I, I learned, what I could learn, did what I could do, and just felt like there's nothing else for me to do here. You know, so it's time for me to get out. And it seemed the appropriate time. That is the kind of realization you have that kind of creeps in and it becomes a little louder and a little louder. Was there a decisive moment where you threw the towel on the kitchen floor and said, all right, this is really it? Or was it more so building up and you had a lot of time to think about it and slowly came to that conclusion? Well, it was always slowly coming to that conclusion. I mean, um, you know, for me, it's the, the, the beginning of the end started when I started at Rain. You know, so Rain was a regional accelerator innovation network and had initial funding from the state for this, you know, two accelerators, one Eugene and one Corvallis, and it had this board of stakeholders and this other executive director that they hired to oversee the whole thing. And the whole thing was really by design was like a 
disaster in the making. Like you go to those first stakeholder meetings, you're like, yeah, this is not going to end well. And it was kind of predictable, like sort of how it panned out. The be beginning of the end of that started the day that it started. And I'm surprised that it lasted as long as it did. And that what it, what it morphed into is now is, you know, it's, it was one of those things that recognized. And when I got into it, it was like, okay, this is a vehicle that's going to get us from point A to point B. And we're going to ride this way for as long as it goes. But it was a mess in the beginning. And I, I was never like, this is going to be the job that I'm going to end my mm -hmm. career with. It was like, okay, here's an opportunity to do something. I'm already doing this work. Here's an opportunity to sort of take the next level. The formation of it seems like it's poorly thought through and it's likely to be a disaster, but what the hell, you know, just go with it. So, and then bit by bit, it just starts like good things happened. And then some things like bad things happened. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, a lot of them were just more like disappointments. And these always come down to, you know, the, again, the conversations of, we love this, we support it, we're all in. And you're like, yes, I hear the mayor talking about how we're being all in and we're all about innovation and like, how much is the city willing to fund? Well, the city really doesn't have any money. And you're just like, that's not true. The city has money. Yes, I know it can't go far, but if it was important, you'd find a way. So at one point I had to go testify in front of the legislature, you know, justify the funding for the regional accelerated innovation network. And we followed the USDOT, uh, the Oregon DOT, Oregon Department of Transportation. And there was a four part session. So we came at the end of the four part session because ours was right after. And, um, they were just going over the flyover bridge that they were doing in coming off of I-5 into Springfield, like a $27 million bridge. That was like section four end of section four, you know, so you're just like, they're sitting there talking about all the details of this $27 million thing. And they were going in and they were like, it was our first initial grant of 2 million for Miami. So it's like they have a million dollars a year spread between two accelerators, between two accelerators and two universities. So someone's like, how are you going to spend this $2 million wisely? It's like, you've just given $2 million to four organizations each get like 500 K a year. We have our plans. You know, and we can go into excruciating detail when it comes down to it, it's 500K, including all the startup costs, you know, getting rid and all salaries and all per and, and something you're like, how important is this? It's really, really important, which is like, we're so important that we are getting half, like, you know, one, several orders of magnitude under a bridge in this town. So what's important to this town? An exit ramp. How important is entrepreneurship? 54 times less important this year, you know, and you're, you, the math is there. So part of this is like, you just go to be like, yeah, this is important to me. It can help our community when it comes to it from a political perspective, it's important to everybody, but it is honestly several hundred times less important than a new, new bridge offering. The big push was sort of rural entrepreneurship. So we were doing it, there was like big push for rural entrepreneurship. And you know, I was very, like, I'm not against rural entrepreneurship, but it, it was like, how can we do high growth startups in rural areas? And you're just like, you know, this is where I sort of get into trouble. And it's like, okay, um, it's like, how many people have done research on actually the, what you need to actually facilitate the growth of high growth, high scale software startups? Not a one. And I'm like, okay, so none of you understand what actually it takes to do a high growth, high scale software startup and you want us to do this in rural areas, small towns, a couple hundred people, 50 miles from the city. You guys are proposing something that's 
probably not going to work. And to build all that infrastructure to actually enable it to work would cost a lot of money. And then even if that happens, it probably won't be sticky and it's probably going to take 10 years to actually see any results at all, which knowing that this is funded biennially, this is going to not be funded in four years. Like, you know, what's the point? So there's a little bit of that where you know, shifting priorities and some of this was just, you know, the idea of rural entrepreneurship is great. The push for rural entrepreneurship was reactionary. Um, and this is, you'll see a lot of states around the nation for called the, you know, purple states, blue cities, red, red counties, which is the legislature, which often allocates money to entrepreneurial support organizations actually gets really, really TO'd that the cities are taking all the economic development money to promote startups and the reds, the red counties aren't getting any. So they push for a reallocation of those funds. And then you actually see these rural entrepreneurship programs, which are sometimes well done and oftentimes like the peanut butter you know, spread on 20 slices of bread which is not enough money for anybody to do anything really but it um makes everyone happy puts a smile on their face and makes people not feel left out and it frustrates ecosystem developers which are like you want me to cover 20 counties with two people on five hundred thousand dollars a year or less yeah and you expect to see what create and it's like job creation it's like so you want me to create 100 jobs with like, it's like, seriously, again, the stakeholder management of it, you just get to these things where you're just like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I understand why people are doing this, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do this. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, part of it for me, sort of the drifting away was just like, well, what they want is not going to happen unless they commit resources to it. So practically speaking, this is probably going to fail, you know, and, and some days were these, these conversations, which is like. Hey, if you're doing the accelerator, how do you make a sustainable business model? So like risk adjusted, sustainable business model, you go big, you go bigger. You're going to see more success. It's a power wall law of numbers thing. Yeah. Bigger portfolio, you'll see more success. So in order to see more success, you want us to invest more money. Well, like I'm not saying I want you to invest more. You ask me a question, how about this becomes sustainable, self-sustaining. And I'm sort of telling you how the math works. Joe, do you have any sense for what came of those efforts? So you've been gone for about a year and a half by the time this airs. Do you know what the current state is? You, I know you're still staying in touch with founders and Eugene. Where did the rural thing go? Where's the accelerator at? Do you have any sense for the ecosystem? Not, not really. It's really, I, I just stopped paying attention. I know there's a small program that was sort of is part of the program that I was running, which still has sort of an accelerator program. People I've talked to were like, yeah, it's nothing like what you ran. It's more like a pre-accelerator kind of intro class and sort of doesn't have the connectivity that you brought to it. And the rural stuff, um, you know, there are all sorts of statewide initiatives going on that I don't really pay much attention to because a lot of these nodes are like more power to them. It's keeping people employed, doing good work. And most of the people that are doing are good. I don't expect that it to generate any substantial results. So I just really haven't paid attention to it. What happened once you decided that it was probably time for you and your wife to move on? What were some of those steps you put in place to where you are now? Mm -hmm. you, you make it sound like it was really well thought out. Well, obviously. <laughs> no, no, it really was just like sell the house and move. I mean, this is during the pandemic. It was like, let's just sell the house and move. You know, at some point we were like, where are we going to go to? Where's the, it's like, let's just move back home. We'll just move to your parents and just, we'll just go back home and we'll figure it out once we get there. I mean, we, we tried to think about where we would go 
we were looking for like a small town. You know, so I was sort of like, Hey, is there any, any ecosystem work, anybody doing anything like what I was doing in like in Asheville or a Buffalo? Cause we were really looking to be in a place like Eugene right? cause that's really where we want to be is in a small college town without the din of the big city, you know, like, like let's say the, the proverbial place to raise your family. We were looking for that and never really found one and just being the pandemic, it was kind of hard to go and fly out and explore something. Um, so we just were like, let's just move. Let's just sell the house and move. We've been talking about this for a year or two. Let's just actually just sell the house and actually physically just get a, get a truck and move, which is what we did. And, you know, it being home closer to home, we actually had family here. So it was easier because we had access to people, which we really didn't have in Eugene. Um, so we didn't, and we, we really didn't put many steps in place. I think my departure from the ecosystem, this is like, um, you know, as we talk about transitions, never really brought anyone on board to sort of take over for me. Mm-hmm. So some of this is personal, you know, cause people like, well, what would you tell someone that wanted to follow in your footsteps? Like, and for me, it's like, okay, start off with when you start out for the first three years, you got to help self fund and kind of build the ecosystem yourself. I put in 250 K of my own money to do that before I started getting paid and people are just like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did some of that money go towards as you were starting to build this out? Oh, mostly it was just like, I wasn't working. You know, just I exited my company, so I wasn't working. So I was pretty much doing all this work full-time before I started getting paid. It was just like full-time meeting with founders and kind of just doing the work. So it wasn't like I was paying myself. It was just, we had a house, heat, electricity, you know, you name thing, gasoline, car insurance, yeah. you know, you name the thing, normal lifestyle. It wasn't extravagant. It was just like a, a normal middle-class lifestyle. I guess I would just call it upper middle-class lifestyle. And we just paid the money. So part of this is just like, well, that's what I did. People are like, well, how did you expect to get that back? I'm like I wasn't going in this expecting to get it back. I was just in a town trying to figure out what's going on and had some resources to spend. But that's the reality of it is I self-funded for a couple of years. People are just like, whoa. And then like, well, then after you did that, then what happened? I was like, well, then I ended up getting a paycheck for a little while. And it was about a third of what I used to make. And people, you know, some part of people like, whoa. So you, this is all the stuff you did. And this is the salary expectation. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty crap. You, you really weren't selling it all that well either, Joe, by being so upfront about how much work and how much dedication and sacrifice it takes to be an ecosystem builder. It's like, it's like labor of love. And then there's the psychic damage, you know, part of this is like, yeah, you get involved in some stuff that you're just like, whoa, you know, but like you're in there and someone comes to you, it's like, Hey, this happened in the community. This tech founder possibly sexually assaulted this person. Mm. And you're like a leader of the community. So what are you going to do about it? I'm, I'm good at helping people launch startups. I don't know what to do here, but now you're in this position of like, feel responsible just like this is my community this is my family and suddenly i'm in the middle of something that's potentially illegal i don't know and that didn't happen all the time but like those sort of weird things happened they take their toll like because they're not light they're not success they're kind of heavy you know that sort of took its psychic toll you know so some of these things they start to take their toll because you do this long enough and stuff happens yeah you know People have divorces, people die, people get sick, have you know, serious health issues, and you just become sort of a, 
somehow connected to that because you're connected to this community, which becomes your extended family. And as a leader in that community, you become like, I don't even know, you know, you, you, but you, you sort of absorb this psychic energy. So you're always looking for someone who's, who has all the right qualities. One, they know actually have what to do. Two, they understand what ecosystem building is. Three, they're so committed to building the town, they're ready to take this on. And, you know, to me, it's, it's like the, you know, always looking for the person to dive in, but no one ever really is like, yeah, I really, really want to go in there and sort of be that person. I mean, yeah, I wasn't selling it well, but I was, wasn't really trying to, um, <laughs> again, this, this idea of succession is never in my head because it's like, I'm just doing what seems right for my community right now. What's going to happen after it's like, I don't know what's going to happen next month, let alone next year or next five years. I'm really not thinking that far ahead. I'm thinking of trying to keep things together to get something cool happening next month, next six months. Yeah, there was a little bit of stepping away and let letting the, you know, if, as long as I was there participating, I was never going to not be in the center of it. Yeah. So there was a certain side of like the only way for me to kind of allow for the community to evolve in whatever direction it was going to go was for literally to meet people. Like, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. I'm no longer in, in here. I'm leaving a hole that must be filled. And this, this was when, um, you know, these are the side stories. Like after I left rain, you know, people would, oh my God, this is happening with rain. And I'm like, no, I didn't hear about it, nor do I care. Yeah. Like, and it was like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I'm no part, longer part of this collective. We, you know, I'm, it's your community, your programs. I'm kind of trying to step back a little to see what happens. So Joe. Looking at the investment you made into the community, and I mean, not just financially, but years of your life, um, a lot of emotional and mental investment in terms of being a community leader and owning a lot of what was going on in your community. And then 25, 30 years later, you decide, I'm going to go do something else. What was that departure like? Was it was a time where you relieved? Were you sad? Were you disappointed? Were you excited for what's next? What does that feel like when you step away after decades of being in that hometown and really playing such a such an important role within the community? Well, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. I mean, it's like we we my son was really pissed off because it's like the only house he ever knew knew we moved away from moved away from all his friends. Um, so there's like bittersweet moment. We loved our house. We still like we we still haven't like we will probably be really hard to find another house because we absolutely love the house that we had. Yeah. Um, other things just were kind of, you know, like bittersweet, you know, it's like the, the, the town could be more than it is. So many missed opportunities. And there's a little bit of frustration where it's like the town could be more than it is. And always talks about, it's like, why can't we, how are we going to become like a player in the state? How are we going to reinvigorate the economy and make this a you know, place that everyone wants to move to? And it's like, you have so many opportunities. And this is not just Eugene, this is Oregon. I think Oregon as a state is like one of the, they keep, and they've missed the mark so many times, everything going for them and they're stubbing their toes. Like they just can't collectively figure it out. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a little bittersweet. I think there was some going away parties, like the going away party that I had the surprise going away party was awesome. It was wonderful because people showed up and it was actually you know, really heartfelt where they, um, you actually said, Hey man, you, you did what you did and it was recognized and 
out. And you know, some me looking back, it was like everything I did was just why did I do it? It's like I like helping people, mm-hmm. and I like I, I'm kind of a teacher, and I'm very empathetic. And what I do well is helping founders deal with being a founder, and I love doing it. Yeah, and it's very it's very like a personal thing, which is when I help a founder actually deal with the process of being a founder, it connects me to another human and I get great satisfaction out of that because when it comes down to it, um, I guess I had the, the, the luxury of having what we call a, a midlife, mini midlife retirement, you know, and, and this is like everyone spends their whole life generating wealth in order to get to some point where they can retire and then they have all this money. And you just don't see this often with, with founders who exit. Like they have a big exit and they're like, whoa, I thought this money was going to change my life and crap, I'm still me Yeah, with money, you know, so you get to experience. And there's one thing knowing next, people say, oh, you know, it's just about love, money doesn't change anything, you know, money doesn't buy you happiness. And it all sounds kind of empty until you experience it and you're just like, yep, I'm still me. What am I going to do? So I was very, very lucky to have experienced that early in my life. And saying, well, the quest just purely for more money is not going to make me happy. What is going to make me happy? It's connection with people. It's service to community. This is the way I can give service to my community. And being a startup guy, it's kind of like the only thing I knew how to do. Um, I'd like people say, well, what does that look like? And I'm like, well, it's almost like um, if you have a pirate on the high seas, they are a really good pirate. And they come into a town, like, I really want to be part of this community what can I do? And they're like, what can you do? And I'm like, do you have any for pirate type things in this town? Cause that's what I do well is pirate stuff. And you know, if the town was like, Oh yeah, you know, we need someone to load a cannon every once in a while and kind of scare off raiders. I'm like, oh man, I could totally do that. That's totally. And I could be in part of this community and do it in the way that I know how to do it. And that's kind of how I felt, which is like, well, this is what I know how to do. I know how to do the pirate thing. So if you use more startups, you need more pirates. I'm going to train these band of pirates to be pirate-like and it will help my community be a stronger community um until they decided they didn't want pirates anymore <laughs> when like okay, take my pirate ship and go, uh, go back <laughs> find to me another pirates. island yes are i'm back out at sea because i couldn't stand being in the town you know so it's so, so yeah it, it kind of evolves it where it's like different emotions it's like the place where you lived and you've grown to what love it and then the place where you lived and you've grown to hate it it's like any place you've ever lived you love certain things about it and certain things you absolutely just despise about it it's like these these things that you appreciate from the space that you're at but you recognize you know sort of the, the good qualities about them and there's the frustrating parts about them based on your experience in eugene is there anything that you have learned about yourself, about ecosystem building, about humans in general, that you will do differently the next time you put yourself into this position, assuming you're putting yourself into that position again? What have you learned from this whole transformation experience? Well, I probably wouldn't do anything differently. I mean, there's there's nuances in terms of, oh, maybe I could handle that conversation slightly differently. But in the broad strokes, um, I, I think it, I think I would have acted on things. I thought things were going a certain way and later on it was confirmed that they were going that way. So in hindsight, I would have probably trusted my gut a little bit more, but I don't think I would have done things differently. I think my, my departure was sort of me. Yeah, I easily could have sort of morphed into what the stakeholders wanted it to be. 
and it could have become an easy job in a small town that doesn't really do anything, which is not that interesting to me. I think um, moving to a new a new place, I mean, which I'm doing right now, it's just like, who's a startup founder that needs my help? And people like, talk to that person. I'm like, okay, I'm talking to that person. I'm helping them. So I think any entry into a new community will be similar to what I've did in the past, which is like, maybe I can help somebody with my insight or some connections that I have. Who should I be talking to that I might be able to help? And the people that I have reached out to and have touched, I've helped. And you know, so I'm getting what I want out of it, which is to sort of, I like, it's like the service part of me, giving back um, to a person, helping them sort of cope with whatever it is. Um, so any community I entered, that's pretty much how I would approach it. Um, I think I would sort of double down on being the pirate. I mean, for a while, from an ecosystem builder perspective, I tried like stakeholder management, like being gentle. And part of this is unnatural for me to actually be that person. It's like, that's not who I am. Um, so I, I probably wouldn't try that. I, I just wouldn't even try. It's like, here's who I am. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in and be, do pirate stuff. I respect that so much. As a people pleaser, I am I am the other way. And I really respect people like you who can fully own who they are and know what works for them and know what doesn't and just go in as their full selves. Yeah, that's to me. It's just like if you were to look at the some people are politicians and I'm the guy, like if you landed in Normandy, you'd say, when you take the hill, here's a machine gun. to be like, sweet, that's me. I'm going to take the hill. That's, that's how kind of how I'm wired. Um, working behind the scenes politically to get everything aligned. It's like, yeah, no, that's not who I am. I'm not, I, I lose patience really, really quickly with that. I'm not good at it. And um, it's just like, I know what my skills are. So I think I would sort of double down on my skills and recognize when, the, um, I'm out of my depth. I think the things I would do differently, and part of this is the realization is more um, people understood what they didn't understand. So Ian Hathaway, if you know Ian, actually wrote a blog post called Pipes versus Platforms, because we had a, we're having a conversation about pipes versus platforms. And it really was this idea of um, you know the pipes, the idea that most of the people un understand how business works through pipes. Inputs and outputs. You know, it's input, output, product at the end. And when you're building an ecosystem, it's a platform. It's your double-sided market. And I thought everyone understood it. I think for me, I understood it because like my first um, game company was like an online video game company, as was my second one. And you know, the idea of a platform model was sort of drilled into my head. It's like I understood it intuitively, not just what it is, but how the mechanics worked in a business sense. And then you get introduced to an environment and you're looking at just like, okay, this is this type of model. It's a system. You have to look at it as such. And it was only in retrospect that I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. These people don't, they, it's like not a thing to them. They can't conceive of what I'm talking about because they don't actually understand the construct. So I think I probably would have been more proactive in sort of trying to explain the construct of like, no, we're not doing service delivery on the government's dime. This is not like um, firemen and policemen or garbage delivery. It's, it's, this is not a service to be delivered. This is something to be curated and it's a totally different business model and it functions in a totally different way. I probably would have been way more proactive on that. I did catch it at the end of getting it where I'm just like, whoa, these people do not understand what I'm talking about. 
they, they really are not, they're just not seeing it the way I'm seeing it. You know, when they start talking about, um, um, conversion metrics and, and like, like, this is not, this is not a straight to consumer app. Those, that's not, not the same model. It's not the metrics you would use. I mean, I, I that, it sort of became exposed to me. So I probably around the edges, I might tweak things, do them a little bit differently. I probably would have started my seed fund more quickly, sooner. I mean, that was one of the ones where, um, I pissed a little, a lot of people off with that when we raised the fund. How so? Uh, well, this, there was this group, it was called the Capital Formation Working Group. And it started right when I started working at Reed in 2014. So we would meet like every four months or six months in the Capital Formation Working Group. It was like, how are we going to create capitals to fund the startups in this community? It was like this, you know, stakeholder group, the Capital Formation Working Group. And the general tone was like, oh, it needs to be regional. We're not going to be able to raise enough money. We have to kind of put it all under one bucket. We have to have a steering committee. And you know, who's going to invest? And I was just like, that's wrong. There needs to be many pools of capital as we can um, with all the subcommunities represented. And from an LP perspective, there are people that won't invest with you guys because you guys are government affiliated. Yeah. Kind of, you know. The punks are going to invest in the punks. The hardware guys are going to invest with the hardware guy. You know, like, and I think at one point we, so me and a couple of the guys had this thing called Fight Club. Fight Club is what became our fund, Coast to Crest. We called it Fight Club. And we would go out and we'd go out for drinks and talk about Fight Club. And Fight Club is like, you don't talk about Fight Club. And at one point, after one of the working capital meetings, like, I'm going to start a fund. And like, they were like, they're like, good luck. You know, almost like a good luck. Like, mm -hmm. sure, it's going to fail. Six months later, like, how did it go? It's like, yeah, we're closed. Fantastic. Closed. We're so investing. And it was just like, stop talking like, and just do it. Well, it was like the challenge. It's like, they're like, mm, but it was more like, oh, you're going to go do your own thing and you have to do the regional thing and kind of screw up our, our whole strategy for capital formation. It's like, your strategy for capital formation has not formed any capital in three years. And the startups need it now. So I'm going to raise a fund. I'm going to start investing in capital. And it was really like, I think people were once surprised. I'm like, seriously, people, whatever, you know, this is where you're, you know, this is again, the frustrations come out. We're just like, you are valuing this, this, the organ way of everyone sort of agreeing come to consensus about the right way to do this. In the meantime, these people are having, are growing startups and they need capital. I'm sorry. I don't particularly care. I'll take the arrows. You can guys can all hate me. I'm going to put money into startups. These people need to take their shot. I'm going to give them thing, give them the resources to do it. And if it's not the right way and it screws up how this ecosystem was evolving, whatever, I actually think that getting money into the hands of startup founders is the best way to actually create momentum. And, you know, so it was like, uh, yeah, there was a little bit of done talking about this. I think there was a lot of conversations that if I were to do it again, it'd be like, yep. I've had this conversation before, which means I'm not going to have this conversation for three years before I do something. I'm going to have this conversation once, maybe twice. It doesn't happen by the second conversation. I'm going to be like, yeah, this is a conversation. This is not action. I'm going to act. So there was a little bit of res restraint in a lot of ways where I tried to be working with all the stakeholders and have the con conversations longer than I probably should have because um, um, to me, it's like when I act, things get done. Pirate for, style. for good or ill, pirate style, but it's like, you know, it's like do what I know how to do, which is I'll act. 
um, from an ecosystem standpoint, yeah, I would love to go to an ecosystem. And they're like, we need people to plan. We need people to act. It's like, got something for me to act on. Let me do it. <laughs> I will raise my hand to get the thing that you need to get done done. That's kind of what I do is I get those things done. Um, and um, I think that's the reflection on who you are, like what you become. And, you know, so a little bit of that. There's a, this other part of me that just recognizes um, I have the knowledge sharing really isn't happening. I mean, there's a lot of ecosystem builders out there that have all the war stories. They just haven't really shared them all. And sometimes you're reading books. You know, it's it's like um, Enrico Moretti, where the jobs are. You know, it's sort of like the mechanics of how how the whole thing works in terms of trade and sector companies. And sometimes you're talking to people about that and they're like, huh? Never heard of that. They're like, oh, you should read this because this not just an idea, like there's math behind some of this stuff. And um, here's the stuff that you should probably know if you want to have these conversations. Here's the things that you should probably make as a package if you're trying to convince the local community that this is worth doing. Here's some resources and here's how you can talk about them. Well, that is actually a perfect segue to the last part of this conversation. So we, before we get to the rapid fire round, I want to let everyone know that they can find you on Medium as Joe Marushak and on Twitter. And I will make sure I put all the links in the show notes. The rapid fire round, Joe, is where I give you the beginning of a sentence and you just finish with the first thing that comes to mind straight out of your mouth. Sounds good? Okay. Yep. All right. First off. Quitting is liberating. An ecosystem builder everyone should know about is James Shomar. And what is one resource that influenced you that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders? Wow, there's so many. I can't pick one when you work out of my office. Lately, I would actually have them read the book Power Law. Joe? Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And I look forward to seeing what New Jersey holds for you, Joe Marushak, and the startup ecosystem up there. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, you are very, very welcome. Thank you for having me. Be sure to find out more about Joe's work at joemarushak.medium.com and connect with him on Twitter. If you would like for me to talk about ecosystem building for social change in your community, on your podcast, or at your event, please contact me at socialventurers.com. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula, and Manahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.